0: game changer. Ever heard that phrase before? Game changer. Perhaps you picked it up or heard it on the news or, or saw, it on ES, saw it on ESPN or some, some sports uh, kind of program or maybe a tabloid somewhere. But ga- that, that word game changer in the Webster's online dictionary means a newly introduced element or factor that changes an existing situation or activity in a significant way. Whenever I hear the phrase, personally, when I hear the phrase game changer, I think of an individual or an event that changes the dynamics of the world in a significant way. Steve Jobs, okay, don't I, don't I didn't drink the apple Kool-Aid, I used some of their stuff, but you know, whatever your personal feelings are about Steve Jobs as a person, there's no debating that his personality driving ingenious foresight made a tremendous impact. He presided over massive shifts resulting in, in, in amazing changes in how people use technological d- devices uh, personal and corporate. Orville and Wilbur Wright. Ever heard of those guys? These brothers brought their inborn talents as engineers to bear on, a, on the problem of flight. They created the world's first successful airplane and man-controlled flight. Their persistent pay, persistence paved the way for the global aviation industry and future of air and space technology. They were game changers. Mother Teresa loved God with all of her heart and she had a, a, a passionate she had, she had compassion and, and passion for the poorest of the poor. And that passion, that compassion that was inside Mother Teresa uh, compelled her uh, to establish the missions of charity in 1950. In 2012, the charity consisted of over 4,500 sisters and is active in 133 countries. Mother Teresa wanted to give dignity to the dying. And when she began over 60 years ago, the charity continues today as they run hospices and homes for people with HIV and AIDS, leprosy, tuberculosis, soup kitchens, children's and family counseling programs, orphanages and schools. Mother Teresa was a game changer. Paid Manning, in case you sports fans thought I forgot about you. If you're not a Denver Broncos fan, close your ears. But in 2013, his stats after three games are 1,143 yards passing completion rate, 12 touchdowns, zero interceptions, and a QBR or quarterback rating of 134.7. The Broncos record, 3-0 so far. Game changer. Noah built a really big boat with no ocean nearby because God told him to. And for over 120 years, Noah constructed his massive boat and was ridiculed up until the day the heavens opened and torrential rain poured and flooded the earth. Changed everything, didn't it? Noah was a game changer. Moses spent the first 40 years of his life as a prince in Egypt until he killed an Egyptian and ran and escaped to the desert and for the next 40 years lived in obscurity as a, as a shepherd until God called him to deliver Israel from their slavery to Egypt. He guided them to the promised land and he did that in spite of insurmountable odds. Game changer. These people changed the dynamics of an existing situation in a significant way, Jesus Christ was the ultimate game changer. His miraculous birth, sinless life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection changed the dynamics of our value as God's creation, our purpose on planet Earth, and our hope for eternity. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be God centered game changers, I submit to you this morning. Positive influencers where we live, where we work, and where we recreate. Matthew 5 says this You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has no it lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, talking to you and I. Like a city set on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand that on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house, in the same way. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see that everyone will praise your heavenly father. That's the words of Jesus to you and I as followers. Today we're going to look at one of the most prolific events in scripture, David's battle with the Philistine giant. And how David navigated that particular epic uh, encounter with Goliath reveals what it takes to be a game changer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word is what brings life. Your spirit is, is what brings life to us. And it's your word that illuminates our mind and our heart into the reality of who you are, what your plans are for us today and tomorrow, God. So help, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody in the house said amen. amen. You've heard the story before. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17 if you have a Bible. Pick that up. The first part of the, of the chapter describes the setting. Israel is on one side. The Philistines are on another side, and in the middle is a valley. And for 40 days, this big fella comes out in the middle of the valley and starts taunting the armies of Israel. The first few verses in chapter 17 describes this man. You've heard of him, probably been to study school, or you, or, or you maybe heard it in a sermon recently, or you certainly heard of the David and Goliath story. Well, he's approximately, according to scholars, 9 feet 9 inches. The Hawks can use him this year on the basketball team. So he's nine foot nine. He's, he comes out dressed in this armor. The tip of his spear weighs 15 pounds. What's up with that? Then he's got this armor, this, 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 this gear that's 125 pounds. That's not to mention what's on his feet, his helmet. I mean, he's a big guy. Nine foot, so it describes this, this amazing, this awesome uh, killing machine that's out in the field. And he's taunting the armies of Israel. He's just calling them out, And what do the armies of Israel do? They cower. They run for their lives. We pick up the story in verse 16. For 40 days, every morning and every evening, verse 16 says, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the, Israel, of the Israelite army. One day, verse 17, Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain. Basically, Jesse is David's dad. said, hey, I want you to take some stuff to your brothers who are on the front lines. Here's some bread for them and some cheese for their captains. And then I want you to check out how they're doing. Come back and report to me how how they are. We pick up the story in verse 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with, with the gifts, as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelites' army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Now, when I rehear that, I'm like, okay, they're pretty excited. They go into the battlefield. They got shouts and cries going on. That's a good start. Soon the Israelites and the Philistines' forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left things, left his things, with the keeper of supplies, and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men said. He comes out every day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. So that kind of caught David's interest. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Beautiful wife, no tax, tax-free living for the rest of my life. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What are those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. So his brothers, his, his older brothers, giving him a hard time, and David goes, "All I'm doing is I'm just. Asking, somebody said you're going to get a reward if you kill that big ugly guy, and I just want to find out what's going on." So, so he he asked the question again, and apparently that wasn't very popular because it gets back to King Saul, and King Saul says, "I want to know this young man that's stirring up trouble in the camp." And so David goes, and he has an audience with the king, and listen to his response. Verse 32, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. He hadn't heard that in 40 days. Everybody else, for 40 days, they've been consistently running and hiding, assuming the fetal position wherever they could. (laughs) And all of a sudden, this guy said, I got this. I've got it. And then his response, or the king's response, was, was typical don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're just a kid. You're a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion and a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and and rescue the lamb from its its mouth. If the animal, he's talking about the bear or lion, he said, if that animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. That caught my attention when I was reading it, and I thought, that is pretty much the worst idea ever. <laughs> I mean, if I was a shepherd and some kind of lion or bear jumped up on one of my sheep, I'm saying, check that sheep off, he's done. <laughs> I mean, wh- why would I, there's nothing in, I would be running the other way if I saw a bear. But David says, he, he not only chases it, when he turns on him, he grabs it by the beard. Son, what are you thinking? Then he clubs it to death. So for me, when I read that, I said, man, this guy's got some, he's got some stuff going on. He said, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this to the pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, and may the Lord be with you then Saul tries to give David his armor. He said, you're going to need some stuff because all you got is that, you know, you got that value village stuff going on there. You need some some real gear. So I'm going to dress you down with Nike's finest and best, fleet of foot, strong. So he dresses him down with his armor, and David tries it on. He says, man, I'm just not feeling it. I've never used this before. So he kind of dishes it, and he grabs his own gear. Now let me describe his gear. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Okay, now if you read the first part of this chapter, it describes Goliath's gear. Steel, metal, sharp, razor's edge, heavy, heavy, heavy gear, all right? Serious armory. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. That's got to be just a hilarious sight to me. You know, in the theater of my mind, I'm trying to picture picture this, because some scholars say, Uh, uh, that he's about, he's a teenager, so they've said he's 15, 16, 17. I don't care what he is. He's coming with this value village garb and a stick and a sling to face Goliath. And so just just the sight of him walking through had to be kind of interesting. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared at David. Am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his God. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the heavens' armies, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I'll kill you, and cut off your head, and then I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds of the wild at, birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues His people, but not with the sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and He will give you to us. If you read chapter sixteen, it's a uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it talks about how Samuel the prophet comes to Jesse's family, and he's looking to anoint the new king, and, and he goes down the line of eight brothers, and he, actually there were seven in the house, and he goes, and he goes oh, that's a good-looking guy right there. he make a good defensive end for me, about 6'6", six, six, 260. Yeah, I can use him. He'll come off the edge real nicely. God goes, nope. Okay, next guy. 6'5", 240, runs a 4'5", 40, might be able to play quarterback for the University of Oregon. Nope, not him. So he goes down the line, gets to number seven, and he says, none of these guys are the guy. Is there somebody else? Oh, yeah, but he's just out taking care of sheep. That's right. I got one other son. He's, a, you know, he's, kind of a, he's an interesting guy. Okay? He likes playing his harp, singing nice little songs, and he takes care of the sheep. Well, get him in here. So in, in chapter 16, he anoints King David. And some, some scholars say that he was about six, three or so old uh, And I thought about that, because if he was 15 or so, 6'3 made sense to me, only because I had an international student that that stayed with me last year. The name is Mustafa, from the Ivory Coast. Mustafa was 15 years old when he showed up here. He was 6'5 and a half, 315 pounds. 15. Big fella. Nice kid, still plays for the team here. He's still going to Horizon. Okay, so when I think about David, okay, I I can see 6'5, I can see, you know, whatever. But uh, I don't care how you do it, 6, 5, and 9, 9 just doesn't play out. It says, so as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, in verse 48. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. And you you know the rest of the story. This morning, I want us to look at three characteristics that helped make David and can help make us a God-centered game changer. The first is, the first thought is, God's game changers come from the most unlikely places, but all our birth through an intimate connection slash relationship with God. I mean, his game changers come, David was a shepherd, he was a, he was a kid that was kind of minding his own business, he just showed up and his dad said, hey, in verse 17, one day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves to your brothers. That was, that was his assignment. He went from, from delivering groceries to standing, with, to standing and battling the champion of the Philistines. Most unlikely place that he came from. Where, did you, where were you born again, bro, Jerry? Where? Virginia. Where? Virginia. Virginia what city? Fort Lee, Virginia. Anybody have Fort Lee, Virginia? Good. I'm not alone. Oh, you've heard of it, sir. You've heard of Fort Lee, Virginia? Where were you born? I was born in Ontario, Oregon, i Okay. Where, where were you born? In Ontario, Oregon. Ontario, Oregon. Fort Lee, Virginia. Mr. Stokes, where were you born? Albany, Oregon. Albany, Oregon. Okay. Holly? Milton Freewater. Okay. Mike? Portland, Oregon. Anybody born in Europe in the house? Anybody? Bo- Heather, where were you born? Frankfurt. Frankfurt, Germany. Anybody else born in Europe? All right. How about in the South Pacific? <laughs> Anybody else from the South Pacific? Western Samoa, Apia, Western Samoa, specifically. is a little little hut in, in in Apia. It's 2,500 miles southwest of Hawaii, right next to nobody cares. In case you were wondering. But hey, God's game changers come from those unlikely places. The most unlikely, the most desolate sometimes places. Places we go, man, what, what good thing can come out of that place? Right? Ten loaves and some cheese for your brothers and his, and his bosses. That's what your assignment is, son. Now go on about your business. Normal, normal, kind of a normal weekend thing. David takes, kind of passes his sheep off to a friend of his, take care of him, and he goes and he does the delivery. And in the course of his journey from there and back, everything changes. Here's what Daniel 11.32 says. The people who know their God will be, will shall prove themselves strong and shall stand firm and do exploits. The word exploits there means heroic acts. But before you can do a heroic act, you need to know who your God is. Daniel 11.32 says the people who know. Everybody say no. In the original, that word is yada. It's also used in Genesis where God said that Adam yada Eve. Adam knew Eve. He knew her intimately and they bore a child. So the, 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 the thought here is that those who know their God intimately, those who connect with him in a meaningful way on an ongoing basis, will be strong and do heroic acts. But you have to know him first. You can't have a drive-by relationship with him. can't kind of just check in on Sunday, did my deal kind of thing. Or go to a life group and feel good about yourself. Did it? All right, check that off. I'm good. Now probably they won't check on me and I'm going on about my business. All you have to do is read the book of Psalms and we get a glimpse of David's relationship with God and what, what, what kind of wound his watch He devoted himself to reading and meditating on God's word. Psalms 119 says, joyful are those who obey his laws. This is David. And search for him with all their hearts. Verse 5 to 8, you have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. Amen to that. Psalms 119, says, how I delight in your commands, how I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. Another indicator. So you see the heart behind it, that David had, a heart towards God. Another indicator of David's heart for God was his response when he sinned. The thing I love about the Bible, it's pretty clear. It just tells you the good, the bad, and the ugly about those that followed God. David was caught in adultery, tried to cover it up with murder. Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and says, hey, man, you messed up. And his response gives a good indication of his heart. He said in 2 Samuel 12, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan's reply was, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. David's heart is revealed in Psalms 51 where he says, uh, regarding this sin of adultery, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sins. God's game changers come from the most unlikely places. but all are birthed through an intimate connection with the living God. Second thought, God-centered game changers, courage. There was a huge difference between how King Saul and Israel's army reacted to Goliath's challenges and taunting and how David responded. Everyone else is running in fear. David doesn't flinch. And instead of retreating, he starts to tries to find out, well, what's the reward for the guy that takes, takes down this, this Philistine? I love what Pastor Stan says when talking about courage. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the overcoming of fear. And we see this in verse 32, in David's heart, in verse 32, it says this. And he's talking to, the, to King Saul. He says, hey, don't worry about this Philistine. David told Saul, I'll go fight him. Don't worry about this cat. I got him. Go from care packages to fighting. Something caught David's attention. Something triggered a response that was different from what had been, what had been taking place for the past 40 days. Instead of caring, he basically says, what does this oversized Philistine think he is? How dare he disrespect the living God? So here's a, here's a thought. Where does a kid who barely old enough to get his driver's permit, get the guts and the courage to even entertain the thought that he can defeat a seasoned warrior and ruthless killer. How do you stare down death and not blink when it roars? Well, perhaps David's word in Psalms 46 is a clue. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In Psalms 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because I'm really hot. Because I got it together. Because I'm really smart. Graduated from Oregon State University or wherever, University of Portland. Because I've got all of these, all this spaghetti behind my name. No, he said, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with, say that again, a little bit Louder. All your heart. What does all mean in the Greek? All. What's it mean in Samoan? All. What does it mean in Albany, Oregon? All. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Good point. Thank you very much for the reminder. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The source of David's courage was his total abandonment and absolute trust in the living God. His worship was not a set of three songs on Sunday morning. It was a daily encounter that moved his heart and opened his spiritual eyes to see the awesomeness and majesty of God. In addition to that, David saw how God protected and empowered him during some of the most difficult times, and it put steel in his back. It burned a deep trust and strength into his soul. It birthed uncommon bravery and fueled his faith. Courage. David's heart was strengthened by what God did through him during those moments when the lion and the bear attacked his flock of sheep. This is what he said in 1 Samuel 17, 34. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And he said, when a lion and bear came to steal a lamb from the flock, I got after him. And when he turned on me, I knocked him out. 2 Timothy, verse 1. I like the amplified version. It says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity of cowardice, of craving and cringing and, and fawning fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. So what is the enemy of our soul? What does he have to say? How has he been taunting you? What inadequacies has, been, has he been highlighting? Dude, you're, you're a kid. You don't even get it. This guy's 9'9". Nine, nine. Even if you were 6'9", you're giving up three feet. What accusations has he been hurling at you? Not smart enough. Not pretty enough. Not slim enough. I, I'm trying. Help me. I'm working on it. Well, guess what? We are inadequate. Guess what? We are weak. We are double-minded sometimes. We are prone to making some pretty bad mistakes. If the enemy of our soul wants to play the, let's state the obvious game, he wins. So what? Our response to Satan's taunting should mirror David's response to Goliath. David knew what he was up against. He did the math. Nine, nine, six, let's say six, five, six, nine. That adds up to a bad day for the little guy. Did the math. He was smart. But he also knew that there was one thing he had going for him. And it was not about him. It was all about the God that he knew. The God he loved. The God who loved him and the God that was with him. That same God created the mountains that towered over both the armies of Israel and Philistine as well as Goliath and himself. That same God created the very ground on that valley floor that they stood on. That might give you some courage. Knowing that the God of heaven and earth is on your, on your side. Listen to what courage sounds like. 1 Samuel 17, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. No if, and, or, or buts. You can come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of... Of the Lord of heaven's armies, verse 47 in 1 Samuel 17. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. The New Living Translation says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. That's the spirit that resides in the follower of Jesus. God has called you and I to be game changers in our families, in the stations in life he has placed us. Whether you're a homemaker, a single parent, an entrepreneur, a finished carpenter, a coach, an engineer, a lawyer, a doctor, a missionary, a pastor, a CEO, musician, doctor, general contractor, web designer, doesn't matter. You insert whatever works for you there. God has called you to be a game changer in that space. God has called not only you to do what what he's called you to do in that space, but he's also called us collectively as a community of faith, as a community of hope, and as a community of love. He's called us together to do work. But he empowers us to do that. I submit to you that God's answer to a hurting world is his church. There is no plan B. Yes, Jesus is the answer, and he chose to use you and I as finite, fallible, and fallen as we are. As inadequate as we might be, he has chosen to use us. Next Sunday, we begin a missions emphasis, and I'm excited about the opportunities, Jerry. We'll have an awesome time together. We also have, we have opportunities for for us to change the dynamics of the existing situation in the world that we live in. It's an opportunity that that shouldn't come just once a year when we emphasize missions, but it's an opportunity that's before us on a a daily and a weekly basis, that we have an opportunity to change the lives of people, neighborhoods, schools, and communities in a significant way. It's gonna require intimate connection with God and God-inspired courage, and finally, Becoming a God-centered game-changer will require commitment. Commitment. 1 Samuel 17, verse 48, lays it out. I love it. He says, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran out quickly. Now, if ever there was a time for David to back out of of this situation, it would be right at verse 48. As Goliath moved closer, insert, David turned and ran and sprinted for the next exit. But that's not what happened, right? It says, as Goliath moved closer to the attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Value village outfit, sling in hand, stick in the other, all of that. Fumbling through his pouch. I can't imagine what was running through that kid's head. He's running, and he's like, man, I better get the right stone. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm thinking, you don't have, the your margin for error is just getting smaller and smaller. Oh, God, please. Oh, got it. All right? You know, something can go wrong. Something's going to go wrong, right? God comes through. God's promises, plans, and purpose will always prevail because he will not be denied. God will not be denied. He is committed to the hill, he is relentless. Quitting is not in his vocabulary, it is not an option. Not an option. I remember when I was getting ready to go to, uh, to Australia a couple of years ago for my sabbatical, and it was just, just the circumstances around that was just ridiculous because, first of all, I wasn't a citizen at the time. I am now. But so I had to work through the Samoan Consulate. Then I had to work through the Australian Consulate and the U.S. Embassy. So I had these three organizations <clears throat> that have their own issues in and of themselves, and I had like a 20-day window to get it done. Well, Samoan might as well send their passport to you and birth certificate on on a canoe, because that's how fast they work. <laughs> Time is just like a concept. They don't. I, I'm the one that's kind of stressing out that I have to be in Australia on July 2nd. No ifs, ands, or buts. That is not an option. They don't care, right? And then you got the bureaucracy in the Australian embassy and the bureaucracy in the U.S. embassy. So I'm working through these different organizations, and, and I'm checking my phone for like three weeks in a row, and, and we're like, it is just becoming really stressful. And uh, as we're getting closer and closer... We click off one, okay, the passport came through. Great, that's great. Now we're waiting for the visa. And uh, so we call the Australian consulate and they say, yeah, uh, we heard the name, but no, it's not gonna happen because you need 30 days or whatever, whatever the window was. Well, Kimberly came up with this great idea. Why don't we call Noilani, who's, a, who's a, our best friend. She lives in DC and she can drive down to Washington DC to the Australian consulate and check it out, see what's going on. So Noilani, she's an adventure. She goes, yeah, let's do this. So she goes down there and she asked him, hey, I've got this, my friend in Oregon, Roger Lovatt, blah, 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 and the guy. And they pull out my file It's in a baggie that's in, in their pile of stuff. But the problem is, I still have 30 days to work through the process, so they just put it down. She goes, she's begging and pleading, hoping that they'll, and some God's grace, they bumped me up, and I went to the top, and they kind of, it came through. So to make the story short, we're about, I lost a day, but I'm, I can still get to Australia in time. But I've got to get in on Saturday, I think it was. I get the email, you're approved. Woo, we're approved. So I get I get my papers, I do all the copies, and I run to the airport because we've been packed and ready to go. We get to the airport. I arrive at the desk at United Airlines, and this guy, Luis was his name. So Luis gets my paperwork, and I'm punching it into the kiosk and stuff, and it just keeps spitting out, you know, rejection, rejection, rejection. Dude, I don't know what is going on. He goes, well, let me just check it out. So he pulls it up. He looks at all my paperwork, which I copied. And so he's got all this. He goes, well, it looks like you should be going. And so let's just, he works on it for one hour. I miss my flight. His boss comes out. Luis, what's going on? He goes, I got it. It's a passport deal. We're good. So he's pounding away at it. And he finally gets a hold of this lady in Australia. And he's, they're talking. And, he's, and he says the word, government override? OK, give me the number. So he clicks it in. And he, go, and he punches it in, and bam, my ticket comes out. He goes, I don't know what just happened, but get on the plane right now. Go. <laughs> so, so he sets me up on this airplane to go. I get down there. There's 10 people waiting for one seat. I'm number nine. Not an option. I got to get to Australia, baby. You got to just do something here. Guess who got on the plane? We get, we get to, we get to uh, San Francisco, and there's like 18 people waiting by. There's 10 seats. The, you know what number I am, 18. So it, the, the, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm just, I said, oh, Lord, Jesus, name of the fathers, help me, please. And they just keep, and all of a sudden, there's this huge commotion that goes on, and, and I hear my name, Levasa. I'm like, whoo. <laughs> that would be me. And they said, uh, here's your ticket, get on the plane. I'm like, my pa- I'm trying to show them my passport. They said, but you, get in the plane. I'm thinking, all that trouble I had to get on the plane with this passport, So. So I get on the airplane to go to Australia, and uh, I wish I could say it was smooth sailing, but I actually, because my, I got some knee issues, I, I had to stand in the galley for about five hours, because it was like a 15-hour flight, and then I found a bathroom that I could sit in for seven hours. <laughs> hey, all I know is I was on the way to Australia. And I remember telling the, the flight attendant, I said, I'm going to sit in this bathroom for as long as I need to. She goes, okay, because, you know, my knees, I, I, anyway. But it was not an option. God, by the grace of God, if I'm supposed to be there, I'm going to be there. But I had to actively be involved in the process. I couldn't just stand and go, oh, well, God will provide. God will provide. Yes, he will provide. Now move your hide. <laughs> just made that up. That was pretty good, was Jerry? Thank you, brother. Thank you for the love. Galatians 6.9. And I am certain... <laughs> I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work. Certain of that. Until it's finished. Not until it's halfway done. He says until it is finally finished. Not halfway, not part of the way, not some of the ways you can feel good about yourself. But until it is finished. And perhaps you're in a place where you're like, man, Pastor Roger, you don't even know. You don't even have a clue. Because we're tempted to quit, aren't we? We're tempted to quit. But the spirit of God within us refuses to to succumb to that which keeps us from fulfilling God's plans and purposes for our lives. If we want to experience the best life possible, we cannot, we must not quit. Just can't be an option. And perhaps you're thinking, "I'm I'm just barely hanging on by a thread. I'm sorry you feel that way. I didn't know whether I was going to share this, and I I talked to Kimberly about it, Um, and I feel like the Lord would have me share this. It's it's not easy to share. What is this? Oh, okay. That's the Holy Spirit talking to me. Her name is Kimberly. About, I don't know, maybe six months ago or seven months ago, some of y'all know that I've got this condition with tumors in my brain, and and it affects my hearing. And so it went from being a kind of a chirpy grasshopper community hanging out on my shoulder to this jet engine. Just pfft. So uh, as we're having this conversation, even today, I got this jet engine on my shoulder that just, rah, just blasts. Well, about six months ago, we're, we're, we're uh, living in a rented house in West Lynn. And, and this has never happened to me before. I've never, I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm a, you know, I'm a positive guy. I'm like, you know, I can get up and go and. But I woke up this one one particular morning, it was a Saturday. Was it a Saturday, sweetheart? And I was just, I remember laying there and the noise was just unbearable. And I just thought to myself, God, what is going on? Where are you? Stop this noise. I just just remember struggling and thinking, man, I can't, I thought, I can't do this. I can't do it. And then a thought went through my mind that scared the fire out of me. The thought went through my mind, and this was the thought. Oh, see, Junior Sal was a a guy that I knew. He's a Samoan athlete, played for the Chargers for most of his career, a little bit with the New England Patriots in the NFL. He's a linebacker. Took his own life, shot himself right in the chest. And I knew Junior. Uh, But anyway, that morning, I'm I'm sitting there, and the thought went through my mind. I said, that's why Junior did what he did. That's why Junior did what he did. And I thought to myself, oh, no, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. We're not going there. We're not going there. That is not an option. But I just didn't have the strength. And I'm, I'm not a, I've never wrestled with depression, but I think I peeked into it for a second, and I thought to myself, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And I, I turned around to Kimberly, and I, and I wanted to tell her, but I didn't want to tell her because I was afraid she'd think, oh, no, my husband's kind of lost his marbles. I don't know. I was just afraid to tell her. And so I just said, honey, can you can can we go out to breakfast? And and I was just lethargic. I mean, inside, I've got this battle just raging and raging and raging in my heart and mind. And we go to breakfast and we're sitting there and I'm not hearing a thing. I'm just like, whatever. And I'm sitting there and she's just talking to me. And I'm thinking inside of my heart. I'm just crying. Oh, God, please help me. Oh, God, deliver me. Oh, God. And so I'm, and I don't, I didn't. Again, all she knew was I was having a rough morning, and I just, I wanted to have some breakfast with her. And so we're sitting there, and and while she's talking, I remember I could, her lips were moving, but I wasn't hearing anything. And then her lips, it was almost like you know the the camera pulls back, and you see the picture, and so a little bit more. And she's talking the whole time. I'm just kind of looking at her and I'm, I don't know if she knew I was kind of smiling, but I had this smirk on my face because I could hear, and a little bit louder, a little bit louder, and I could, she start coming into focus. And, and, and slowly and slowly, the cloud just kind of pulled away. And that took about an hour and a half. But I just sat there, and I'm just looking at her lips. and said, keep talking, honey. You're, you sound beautiful to me. <laughs> just, keep, just keep talking. Keep talking. Quitting is not an option. And if you're facing a moment in your life that you go, Pastor Raj. If you feel like you're barely hanging on, then grip really tight and pray really hard. In fact, let's pause right now and pray. I feel like the Lord wanted me to do this this morning. I don't know where you are, but I'm talking to you. The Holy Spirit is talking to you. You're thinking about quitting. Nobody knows the pain that you're facing. You're absolutely right. We don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. But there's one that knows you and loves you deeply. And he wants to speak life into your situation. He wants to speak hope into your situation. He wants to speak himself into your situation. Because he is the source of life. He is the source of liberty. He is the source of hope. He is more than enough. He is more than able. And wherever you might be in your journey, wherever you might be in, this place, in, in, in your life, you're thinking, I don't know. Well, then let me know for you. Let me be the knower for you. Let me tell you that he is good all the time, regardless of our circumstance and situation. He is committed to you fully.